What does it mean to be on the same page spiritually as a couple? And how can you work towards becoming and staying spiritually attracted to each other as life happens? That's what we talk about in today's episode. I have Dr. Kim Kimberling, who is a Christian counselor. He's been counseling couples for over 35 years. He has his PhD and a doctor of ministry degree in Christian counseling, and he loves marriage. He wants people to have an awesome marriage. He has an organization called Awesome Marriage and has a great podcast. And like I said, he's working counseling with couples, has been doing so over 35 years. And I ask him questions specifically about couples who share a Christian faith or maybe where at least one of the people in the relationship has a Christian faith and how that couple can can work together to stay spiritually connected to each other, but also to God. Even if you don't have a Christian faith, I still believe that this episode is valuable for you. I believe that there's truth in this episode that you can take and apply to your own life in order to see amazing change. Let's dive into this episode with Dr. Kim Kimberling. There's a process to falling in love, and it starts with attraction. Join Kimberly Beam Holmes and her special guests as they discuss how to become the most attractive you can be. Physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as we refer to it, working on your pies. We'll teach you how to have better relationships and become more attractive to others, and maybe more importantly, to yourself. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. Dr. Kimberling, thank you so much for joining me today on the It Starts With Attraction podcast. I'm very excited to have this conversation with you. Well, it's so good to see you. Thank you for inviting me. It was a joy when we met together for the Awesome Marriage podcast. So I've really been looking forward to this. Yes, yes. It was a joy. It was a joy. And definitely um, sharing that podcast with our listeners as well. I think you're doing great things over at the Awesome Marriage podcast and at awesomemarriage.com, which of course we'll, we'll send people to at, at the end of this episode. But first of all, so you have your PhD and a doctor of ministry in Christian counseling. And how many years have you been counseling couples? I started formally, I did some informal stuff in the late seventies, but really went back to school in 83 and mm-hmm. started working on a master's. And then kind of that just evolved into PhD and DMIN programs. And so, uh, some of it was, I was in a, a area, a, not an institution. It, it's a place here that does counseling. Um, and I did some work with them kind of as an intern for mm-hmm. a few years. And then we started family Christian counseling, which is our counseling center in Oklahoma city in two. 1990, actually. Mm. So to answer your question, 35 plus years, probably, you know, it's been, I know when you think back and it's like, wow, where did that go? Why? Why did you decide to do this, to work with couples, to, to get involved with the, what can be messy, hard, difficult work? 
early on, my heart is for kids still. Mm. I mean, I'm passionate for kids. I love kids. I love kids to have good homes to grow up in. And what I really began to figure out, and I think God showed me, is that I was spending time with the kids. But a lot of times it was the marriage that was really the Mm. problem. And if the parents got better, there's a good chance that the kids would get better because kids are pretty resilient and they respond Mm. pretty quickly when change happens. Mm -hmm. And so I think it just evolved into starting out probably working with some people who I've seen their kids and then uh, it was just like God seemed to open that door, and I really saw the value in because I saw so many people that didn't have the marriage I think God created for them that mm-hmm. that floundered or fought or just didn't embrace differences or each other, and so it's like, okay, I think we can make a difference here, and and I think um, so. God kind of led me to that, and then it just kind of grown from there. You know, sometimes when you say yes to God, it's like you have no idea what you're saying yes to. You know, and and so then he reminds you, you did say yes. I go, yeah, I did, but I didn't know you were going to do this, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't share all the terms and conditions on the front end. No, no, I didn't get a contract or anything. Right. You you share in your bio a bit about how you grew up with parents who had a great marriage. Can you tell us more about what that looked like and how that impacted you for your own marriage and the work that you do now? Yeah, I th- I think one thing I didn't realize growing up how great I had it mm. because that was my normal. But my parents, um, and there was never divorce in my family on either side. I mean, so that was wow. that just didn't happen a lot anymore. Yeah. And so grandparents were together till they passed. Mm. Uh, my parents were just they just valued each other. They were um, they were kind to each other. Mm-hmm. They laughed together. They had fun together. They when it came time as kids for them to make a decision about us or for us or discipline or school or anything. They were always together. They're always on the same page. Uh, now I know a lot of conversations probably went on behind closed doors, but they presented that to us. And, and I think I also learned that they knew how to fight. Um, mm-hmm. They knew how to resolve conflict in a healthy way. And, and only twice in my whole life do I remember them raising their voice at each other. I mean, it was amazing. And so they, and that was early on and they just had a great marriage. They put God first and it was like, okay, this is what I want. And so Nancy and I, when we started dating and Nancy came and spent some time with us and my family and, and she had come from a a parents that I love, but it was dysfunctional in a lot of ways, uh, alcohol and some things like that. And she, I think she fell in love with my family more than she did me at first. It was kind of like she was really attracted to that. And so that just, I think we both were on the same page with that. We knew we had to figure out it had to be different. We couldn't replicate my parents' marriage, but we could take that template and lay it over our marriage, be who we were and who God created our marriage to be, but to have those principles that were active in our in our life. And we got married so young, it took time for that to happen. You know, early years, we were still kind of positioning ourselves and who's going to run this show and, you know, all those kind of things you do when you're trying to figure things out. But Mm -hmm. once we settled in that, that's what we want. And so if that's what our goal is, then everything we do every day needs to be focused on that goal. Mm -hmm. And so when I would do something that wasn't focused on it, you know, that was on me and I needed to take care of that and figure out what am I going to do if that situation comes up again. So, we we figured out how to work together. I think prayer was a huge thing. My, so my parents prayed, Nancy and I prayed, all those things went into it. Mm, that's awesome. I'll, I'll have more questions that I want to ask you about that in, a, in okay. a little bit. But I wanted to ask you this first. 
in the work that you have been doing with couples for for 35 years, have you seen any trends that have changed? So are you seeing more of something now that maybe you didn't see as much of 35 years ago or vice versa? Well, I, I, I would say adultery, infidelity. Uh, I think it's always been there, but it seems like uh, over the period of time as more women were in the workforce, as more women had jobs where they might travel, mm. um, that opened it up. I think where I seen there was a two or three years ago, I probably was seeing at one time maybe eight or nine people that were there because they're an affair and half of them were the wife, which was totally unusual because mm. before then, when there was an affair, it was usually always the husband doing that. Mm. So I think I think that the thing that encourages me about that is that the people where that has happened in their marriage, where there's been infidelity, and then they come to me and they want to, or another counselor, and they want to figure out how to heal it. That's really good because I think there was a time that if you if you go out of me, that's we're done. I mean, it was right. like we're not going to give you a second chance, anything like that. And so I've got to see God work some real miracles in lives, and mm-hmm. and people end up saying our marriage is better than it's ever been. We hate what happened, but what God did was amazing. Hmm. So you know, that's kind of where that goes with that. I love that. What about in terms of so this is something that that I've been reading about, studying about. I'm currently getting my PhD, and so this is part of part of what I'm learning, is that there seems to be that a period of time back before the 1960s where marriage was termed a commitment-based relationship. Mm-hmm. And according to the psychological research, when you start entering into those late 60s, 70s, and on, it seems that marriage has taken a turn into what they now call expressive individualism. Where instead of focusing on the good of what's best for the family, people are now focusing on the good of what's best for me, the good of what's best for what's going to make me happy. Have you seen that in your practice? And if so, what can you do to help someone see the benefit of staying committed to a marriage as opposed to only following their feelings in, in the time that they're having those feelings? Yeah, I I think, and I think it. I think selfishness, because basically, I think that's what it is. We we have finally, I think, our culture has given a stamp of approval to being selfish in marriage, mm-hmm. where that probably wasn't there. I'm sure it happened, but it wasn't there mm-hmm. years before. You know, that mm-hmm. just didn't seem like. So, I think selfishness is probably something that permeates our society and our culture, and so I I think that plays out in the marriage. And so, you know, sometimes it's just getting in, in counseling, getting a couple for each one to look at themselves and what, what do they need to do to make this marriage better? What do they, um, I love a quote that I heard Andy Stanley, who's a pastor in uh, Atlanta say one time, and he was talking to singles about being, wanting to be married. And he said, be the person you're looking for is looking for. Mm. And I love that. And I think so in a marriage, if you want if you want your spouse to treat you kind, if you want your spouse to care about you, if you want your spouse to want to be involved with you, you need to do those for them. And so really, you can almost take it from take that selfish deal and put it in a spin of, okay, if that's what it takes to get, you know, if you act this way, well, then you're going to get what you want, you know, and hopefully they begin to realize that, no, it's not a game. It's not about being selfish. It's about working together on this marriage. And so I, th- I think that's kind of... um Kind of what I would say. Mm, that's great. I love that. Do you do you also work with couples who don't 
share the same faith? Have you ever had experience in the struggles that that can cause with a couple? I have, you know, and I think the Bible, you know, it's interesting when I you read the things in the Bible and it talks about un, being unequally yoked. And I, I guess I thought that was um, just a warning, but I think the more I'm worth people, that's maybe more of an absolute because I see the problems it can, it can cause. And I think God, you know, God puts a lot of things to warn us. It's not like he wants to keep us from doing things. He just knows that if we take certain paths, it's going to be more difficult for us. And mm-hmm. I think he, sometimes we don't listen very well to him. And so I think where I see that it doesn't like in counseling, you know, when, when both cup, both people are Christians and they be, you know, maybe go to church Christmas and Easter, but at least they acknowledge faith and they feel like God probably has a part in their life at some point. And when you don't even have that to work with, then you're just kind of working with human versus human and we're so fallible. And so I think to have that foundation of a faith that says, this is real. If you treat each other this way, this is what's going to happen in your marriage. And if you're good to each other and you care about each other and you do all those kind of things, then you're going to have kind of the marriage that, that you want to have. And if you don't, uh, you probably won't. And so I think it's hard to get there uh, sometimes um, when one is a believer and one's not a believer. Mm, I would agree. I would agree with that, especially, well, I say especially. I'm thinking of both both instances where maybe when you get married, you know that one person has a different faith or isn't a believer or whatever it is, and one person does. But then there's also the, you get married and you're both Christians, but over time, one person may stop believing or start struggling Mm -hmm. with their faith. In both of those instances, knowing, you know, you and I both share the same belief of of loving Jesus, um, have strong Christian faiths. So how do you work with people and how do you encourage people who may be the the Christian in their relationship to to deal with that with their spouse? Like how how do you help them get a relationship with God? I yeah, I think it's hard. And I think sometimes we want to play Holy Spirit. And I, mm-hmm. I think there is a Holy Spirit there, and that's pretty much their job. And I, I think it's hard because I think as a Christian, you know, if you're both Christians and you're both following God, what can you just have this picture of what can happen? And so you want it so badly. And so sometimes I think that comes off wrong of like we're trying to force it, and it may force the person or make them push back just a little bit. So I, I think the best role is is to pray for them and to be an example. And you, then the way you treat them, way you act, that they see something in you that is different. Mm-hmm. And so then hopefully they're attracted to that and God can use that at some point. But ultimately it's up to God. And I think we just don't want to do it. I don't want to, if it was in our marriage, I wouldn't want to do anything that would get in the way of God. And so I think sometimes we do that out of good intentions, you know, or what we really want for this person we love and, and all those kind of things. But it's really, uh, it's, I think it's leaving it up to the Holy Spirit. And I think that the hard thing you kind of touched on is I've had actually in the last probably three years, a couple of couples where that had happened, where they go in, they both think they're or were Christians. And for whatever reason, I had one couple where he had, he went all the way to probably borderline Satanism. I mean, it was just, uh, and, and the guy that was a youth pastor when they, um, when they dated and got married. So the Hmm. things that she had to go through, because here we go and we're doing everything like we feel like God wants us to do. Then some situations happen, you know, long story with his life. 
and and mm-hmm. God was not the priority anymore, and he was doing everything and pushing him back against God. So that was tough, and it, it was tough to um, to help you know helping her navigate through that. So I think sometimes that happens. I think if you go into marriage and you know that person is, and maybe we go with rose-colored glasses like a lot of times we do going into marriage and think, well, they'll change, you know, and that thing. But I think you have to go into it if you're marrying someone that's not a believer, realize they're not a believer. I want them to be, but I have to accept them where they are now, just like God does. God didn't say, you know, well, when you come to Christ, then I'll answer your prayers. No, I mean, or anything, you know, I'll acknowledge, you know, he loves us and cares for us and pursues us. And so I think that same principle. Hmm. Let's talk about prayer for a minute. Prayer is one of those things where it can get real easy to get in that mindset, a little bit like what you were just saying, in that mindset of, well, I'm praying for this to happen and God isn't doing it. So how do you help people understand what the purpose of prayer is, maybe even even how to pray? Uh, I think one of the things that was really interesting to me, just as a side note, is a couple of years ago... The, the marketing team at Marriage Helper said a lot of people are looking for on Google, like a prayer for a troubled marriage. Mm-hmm. And that was so interesting to me because for me, I kept thinking, but there's not like one prayer. There's not this like these certain words that you're supposed to say to God. And all of a sudden he's going to give you what you want. And I think that yeah. is um, the mindset of a lot of people, even, even Christians. And even I've struggled with that too, right? Like, well, if I would just pray more, if I would just do this more, if I would say the right words, then God would just finally do this thing. So how can you help us all think about prayer differently? I think it's great. I, I think um, I think you're right. I think a lot of times, and I think we all probably go that a little bit, that God really is Santa Claus, you know, so if mm-hmm. I pray this, I'm going to get it or something really close to it, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we have to realize that God is always working for our good. I think that premise accepting that. And then if I pray for something and, you know, we've meant to have prayed for things that God has acted in that have been literally in our mind, miracles that have mm-hmm. happened. And we've prayed for other things that, the miracle didn't happen, you know? And, and so I think what we've learned is to, that God sees a bigger picture than we do. Now, I think it's hard when you're in a marriage situation and say, like we're talking about someone that's not a believer and you're praying for that and nothing changes. Um, I think it's being obedient to God. It's doing what God wants you to do. And I think there's joy in that. You may not be getting the, the spiritual connection in marriage you want, mm-hmm. but, but if you go that way, your relationship with God will get better. I think God will help you not be resentful toward your spouse in this process. Mm-hmm. And the, and it just patience is so hard for us. I mean, it's mm-hmm. so hard for us. You go to a, you know, go to a Mexican restaurant. If they don't have the chips and salsa in my water there in 30 seconds, I'm going, what's wrong with you people? Right. You know, it's like, we're just, we just, we're so impatient. Uh, I went to a funeral a few years ago, a lady that I'd known for a long time. And um, her husband, she had prayed for him for, I think the pastor said 40 years. Hmm. And then in a 40, first year of their marriage, he became a believer. And so they had four or five years together that Mm. they were both believers. And the the pastor was just making the point how her faithful prayer for that person, she went to church every week. She took the kids to church. Mm. She prayed for her husband. She encouraged him. And finally it took hold. And and I think if I, knowing her like I did, uh, I don't think she would have changed that. 
I think she saw herself as being used by God and that she learned a lot during that. And she learned how to, once she learned how to accept him where he is, I think that was a big step in, in him beginning to open up to the fact that this God thing might be something I would embrace. That is so powerful. Yeah. I got goosebumps. It, it's, it is. Yeah. It was just, I can remember sitting in that, in that auditorium at that church and I almost mm-hmm. got the same thing. I thought, oh my gosh, that is, because I didn't know that end of the story. That was so cool. So powerful. So powerful. How can a couple invite God into their marriage? What are some ways that that you encourage couples to grow together spiritually, to pray together, to grow closer to God together, even if they're just starting out? Yeah, I think in people who know our story know that we started praying on our honeymoon night and it was Nancy's mm-hmm. idea because she had been with a mentor lady that said that's important. So on our honeymoon night, she says, let's pray. And so we did, you know, and, and it, we kind of, that began a pattern for us. And I think at that point, uh, honestly, honeymoon night, I was probably just, let's get through this prayer so we can get on to, you know, why, one of the reasons we got married, you know? Uh, but I think over time we were able to see God and, and it was awkward. Uh, we prayed silently together. We prayed the Lord's Prayer. It took a while mm-hmm. before we could pray out loud together. But I think what, looking back, if Nancy and I would both say, if one thing changed our marriage, it was prayer, wow. even when we didn't really know what we were doing. But I think it was always from our heart, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think praying together, not making it complicated, I think we make it very complicated, is a great way to connect. And you don't, you can pray silently. You can pray out loud. You can play, pray laying down, standing up. You can stand your head. I don't think God cares. He just wants to hear from us. Mm-hmm. And when we pray together, that we know it's powerful. And so sometimes early on, we would just think of things that we really wanted to pray about. And so we both pray silently about it. Eventually we felt more comfortable praying out loud, but, it, but I tell couples, it's not, um, it's not like, okay, you can get to vulnerable prayer and that then you're at, no, if, if you just praying silent together, it's what you guys are comfortable with for 50 years. Great. Do it. You're praying and you're inviting God in the middle of your marriage. And so I think, Prayer is huge. I think it's important to be involved in a local church. I think God set that up. Uh, average cup people that say they go to church go one out of four Sundays. That's kind of the latest stats that I've seen. So it means, so I think a lot of times, you know, you'll say, you know, I'll, I'll run into somebody and I'll say, they'll, I find out where to go to church, they go to the same church I go to. And, and I'll go, what do you think this sermon series? And they go, uh, what's it on? You know, it's like, well, they went, Christmas that they hadn't been in six weeks, you know? And so I think we kind of think about, and I think they, they're not deceiving. They just kind of think in their mind that, yeah, I go to church regularly. So I think being involved in church is important. I think finding a community group is huge. If you can find a community group, I think it's, I think it's for all ages. We've got a great community group that we've been a part of for a number of years, but starting out having other young couples that are going through what we're going through to realize there's some things that are normal that, you wonder, are they normal or not? Is really helpful. So I think that's a way to grow. And I think you share in, in the faith because we're all growing. And I think as young, as a young couple and as a young couple with kids, that the people we around in small group made a huge impact on us. So I think going to church, inviting God, I think reading the Bible together is huge. I think mm-hmm. the YouVersion app have, has made that so available to people where you can, you know, used to a guy would say, I want to be a spiritual leader to me. And 
I want to read the Bible, but God, I just let it open and we fell in Leviticus and we were cutting up cattle and my wife kept looking at me. I'm thinking, yeah, I bet. That wasn't exactly what you wanted. So you can go on the Uversion app and you can find a, a plan that has to do with marriage or it has to do with faith or anger or all kinds mm-hmm. of things. And you can do those things together. Nancy and I do a read through the Bible in a year plan every year, every year, and we don't read it together, but we're in the same plan. And so if we, there's a place where you can comment. So if we have a question or comment, we can put that in there. And when we're together, we can talk about it. So I think reading the Bible together at some level is really helpful and, and it's a good way to grow together. So praying, church, small group, reading the Bible together. And yet one of the other thing I think it does is looking for opportunities to serve together. I think you That's can good. really grow in that. When we do like Habitat for you. Humanity, and we spend a Saturday going and helping someone, or or we get involved with some program at Christmas to try to help people or kids that that may not have the kind of Christmas that other kids have, and so those kind of things when you do together, there's just something special about it, and 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 beginning to look for things to do together. One of the things that we did for quite a while because it seemed like there were a lot of needs was if we, we just told a pastor, if, if there's somebody needs electric bill paid, gas bill paid, let us know and we'll give you the money. But we didn't want them to know who did it. And I think what we found there, there was something really special about being around that person the next Sunday and her telling everybody about this angel that paid her electric bill and didn't know who it was, but so grateful. And we're just sitting there you know, that's so cool, you know, that, that we were a part of that, but it wasn't to get an accolade. It wasn't to get patted on the back. It was doing what we felt God was leading us to do. So mm-hmm. all those things, I think, grow us together. And I think God uses those to strengthen us and to strengthen our relationship. And that's how I think doing all those things is really inviting God in the middle of your marriage. I love that. You mentioned briefly, you know, for the man wanting to be more of a spiritual leader, there's great resources, you version, different things like that. So what would you say to the woman who's wanting her husband to be more of a spiritual leader, but she may be taking on that role a lot right Mm -hmm. now? I think, um, I think a couple of things I've seen some women to do that. And a couple of things that I've suggested that they've done that have worked is a lot of times women, it seems like are spiritually more mature than their husbands. I mean, it just in general, I think women are more prone to get into women's Bible studies. I think mm-hmm. they're more important to, they talk about more important things when they're with their friends than guys mm-hmm. do. You know, we can never run out of football games to talk about, you know, so, <laughs> so we've got our escapes all the time, but I think women, uh, get into that. And, and mm-hmm. so I think they, they share more and, uh, and now I forgot exactly what you said. You asked me about the, oh, what if, to do, what they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's, um, I think there's nothing in the Bible that says a woman can't lead. So I think maybe what we, I suggested a couple of women were, why don't you, okay, you're doing this, um, quiet time with your kids, mm-hmm. uh, invite him to join you invite him to maybe read the scripture. Um, Just let him get comfortable with it. Cause I think a lot of where guys are, they want to do it, but they don't feel comfortable. And so I, and especially if we feel like our wife is more spiritually mature than we are. And so I think for the wife to realize, you know, part of my role here is to help him be a good leader. And so if I can help him be comfortable with things and ease him into it, Maybe you talk about it. Maybe you pray about with him and say, hey, I know you want to be a spiritual leader. I know you're struggling with that. 
can we just can pray about it and see what God does? So mm-hmm. I think it's more coming alongside that husband instead of saying, you are not being the leader God created you to be. I'm so tired of being the only one that prays. I'm the one that gets the kids up for, you know, that's not going to draw him in. And so I think it's taking that role, uh, leading in the way that God equips you to lead and then inviting your husband to come alongside you. And then eventually, hopefully it's going to click. And all of a sudden you look up and this guy's leading. This is the guy who said, let's go pray. Yeah. That's really good. We are in such a time right now where there's a lot of disagreement about things, right? And some Mm -hmm. of these things are, Um, even Christians disagreeing on Christian values and Christian principles. What, what would you tell a couple who they are just split on, on an issue? And I mean, I, we could pick a hand, like we could pick hundreds of them, right? There's, there's tons of them, but especially issues where there are strong Christian beliefs and values behind it. And the couple doesn't agree on how to handle it. Yeah, that's uh, that's always hard because we we can kind of dig in. I, I think a couple of things. One, um, listening to your spouse is going to be really important. I think when they are expressing the way they feel about something, our tendency is if it's so opposed to what we're thinking or feeling, we want to just interrupt and say, what are you doing? Why are you thinking that? So I, I think the first step is to really listen to your spouse. What are they really saying here? Can you, you know, a lot of times we'll get that and we can find a, a common ground. Can you find a common ground that you believe in and then agree to get disagree on something else? Now there's some absolutes. I mean, if, if the disagreement is, you know, Jesus, there's, there's 20 ways to God and Jesus is just one of them. And you're a Christian. You say, no, good. Jesus is the only way to God. Well, that's a, that's a big difference. Um, but then I think where you start with that is just, well, I've chosen Jesus is my way to God. And then you just, again, model that, um, be consistent with that. So I, I think there's other issues. I think political issues have, have, um, tanked some marriages the last couple of years. I think our, our, uh, political volatility has been huge as a nation. Um, and I think we don't listen well to each other. And, and what we, when we do listen to something, all we listen to are things that build our case and we don't take the time to even consider the other person might have a, even have a point, you know? And so I, I think it's on all of us, you know, God loves everybody. And I, I think we have a tendency to think, well, God really only loves those who really follow him and believe in him and vote the right way, vote like I do. And really the others he just puts up with, which is not true. He fluffs them too. And and so I, I think you just um, look at the, I guess don't make the issue something that pulls you apart. Yeah. Sometimes that's hard. I mean, I had a couple one time that they were in my premarital class in, in Oklahoma, Oklahoma State and, and Oklahoma University, there's a big rivalry. Some people take it a lot farther than others. Uh, this couple chose to not get married because they could not reconcile that one was an OSU fan and one was an Oklahoma fan. They just couldn't get there. They both came from strong families of origin that were strong ingrained either as a Sooner or a Cowboy, and they just couldn't get there. And so, you know, when they came and told me that about halfway through the class, I thought, you know, yeah, it's better to do it now than to get married (laughs) 
<laughs> and do it about two years later, you know, when you're at a game and one team's beating the other and you walk out of the game and you're married. I mean, so it, it was better. But I think so sometimes there's things that people hold uh, differences that they feel mm-hmm. are important to them that we kind of sometimes would think, well, why is that so important? Yeah. But again, it, it's kind of working with, with in the middle of that. And but the hot topics, I think, have really I've seen that a lot in um the last couple of years through COVID of, mm-hmm. and I won, you know, num- well, not a number, but enough couples that I worked with that one person was pro vaccine and one was against vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they all were able to work that out and, and work something, but together, right. It, when they came in for counseling, that was one of their big issues because they couldn't reconcile that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. I mean, it just seems like, especially in the past two to three years, the number of issues that people can disagree on has just exponentially increased all at one time and all having hard feelings that go with it too. So a lot of emotional reasons behind each, but I love what you said, going back to lean in and listen to their point. I mean, why is that it's so important to them in that way? And can you, Maybe I don't even think the question is, can you find the middle ground? I think the better question is, how can you find yes, the middle ground? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's, there's got to be a middle ground. You know, yeah. we all have to give and take some. And um, so, yeah, I, I think that makes total sense because I, you're right. I think the things that we, we put so much more to it. Okay. I, I, this is what I think about that. Well, five years ago, I probably wouldn't have cared that much what someone else said. Okay, they think different. Now it's like if I think this way, if you don't agree with me, you're you're a horrible person. You know, I don't know why you even think you should be breathing. I mean, you know, we just go to these extremes about Mm -hmm. that. And so when that happens with the person you're living with in the same house, you gotta get help or you're gonna you're gonna just tank your marriage big time. Mm -hmm. What are your tips on how to parent during these things as well. So kids are being exposed, you know, with social media and things like that to messages, strong messages, maybe messages that are a little more mature than the child is at the time they hear it. So, um, and then seeing a, and if they see their parents disagreeing like this, I mean, what are, what are the best tips for parenting in 2022? Well, I think the more the parents can be on the same page, the better always. Mm-hmm. You know, and so are there things that like, maybe you do disagree on this. Do you, do you, you don't want to make your case in front of the kids. It's not like you and mom and dad have a debate and the kids sit there in the, on the sofa and then they decide who wins. I mean, that's not what you want. So I think as a parent, you, it, it's okay not to share everything. It's like if you, or to even say, you know, mom and dad are trying to work some stuff out on that. But on this, we we're together on this and this. And usually a couple's together on probably 90% of the things. And so I think you focus on the positive, not the negative. And then I think raising kids today is hard. I mean, and I think we've got a parent. I think we've got to know, you know, if they have a, a mobile device, you, you got to know what they're on. You got It's okay to check it. You're the one who's paying for it, you know, and, and to make sure you understand what's going on. Because there's a ton of stuff. Like we do social media. I'm on TikTok and every place else. Well, sometimes I get on there and, Think, golly, why am I on TikTok? But then I also see that all of a sudden, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had 600,000 people like one of our videos and it was an anti-porn video. And so I think. That's awesome. Yeah. So, but I also know you've got to be careful because your kids are so impressionable. Um, 
and I think you just have to be aware of that. I had a couple of a couple of years ago, and their twelve year old boy, they noticed he and about six friends after uh, a soccer game were all sitting around together. Well, one of the guys had his phone and had a pornographic type video that his older brother had shown him. Mm-hmm. So he here he is showing seven or eight other guys this video, and it's like you're twelve years old and you're sharing this right here. And so uh, I think it opened a great opportunity for the parents because it was really cool. The parents that I was working for took it very seriously. They contacted Mm -hmm. other parents and they all, instead of condemning that kid, Mm. they talked to the parents and said, hey, how can we all work together so this doesn't happen again? Or how we can tell our boys that looking at pornography is not God's plan for them. It's not healthy. And there's that curiosity. I get that. But guys need to learn how to say no. Mm-hmm. And the younger we learn to do that, I think the better, because the temptations are always going to be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Since you brought up that the issue, and this wasn't on the, the planet to talk about, but I, I think it's such a great question to ask, and especially with someone like you who's had uh, experience in working with couples with this. So how do you handle a a couple where one of the spouses – wants to have pornography as part of their sex life and the other one doesn't. Yeah. When most of the time it's going to be the guy who wants it mm-hmm. and the wife who doesn't. Maybe, and again, I'm not saying it can be the other way, but that's usually it. What I do with a couple is I try to help them see that one, I think God gave us everything we need to have great sex, but you know, Adam and Eve didn't have porn. Adam and Eve didn't have whatever, whatever, whatever. They just had themselves and they had God at the center of their relationship. And my thought is that they had a great sex life. Mm. I mean, you're walking around naked all the time anyway. So I mean, <laughs> you know, there had to be some benefits of that in some way. Uh, so I think, I just don't think that's something you compromise on. I think there's too many detrimental things. I have, every time I've worked with some, with a couple where the man was into porn, and, and we know that a lot more women are into porn now than they were 10 years ago. I get mm-hmm. that. I'm talking a little bit more about the male right now, but that, but that pornography does not do anything for your marriage. And women say, why is he looking at that when he has me? And I just think that's there. And I think we have a culture and media that puts porn very lightly. It can be, yeah, I'm going to go look at some porn. It's easy to say in a sitcom. It's easy to say, I think I'll go have dinner. You know, it, it's just, and so that gets in our minds. And obviously the porn industry is not going away. It's huge. It's mm-hmm. multi, no telling how many billion dollar industry it is, maybe more than that. And so we have to learn how to how to navigate that. And I think as guys, we have to get out of our selfishness and think, how does this affect our, our wife? And if I develop this relationship physically, sexually with my wife, it's going to be better there than anything else. And I think sometimes we buy into the world that says, no, try this or try that or try this or try that. And the couples that I know, you know, one of the things I started praying years ago, and I've had a lot of guys do that and tell me incredible results, and that is to say, for God to pray every day that your sexual desire is just for your wife. Hmm. And God works in that. And I think what it, what I've seen in my life is things that are temptations are not as big. Now, we're all vulnerable, so I'm not saying I'm not vulnerable, but I think those temptations don't have the... Um, I'm just not interested in them because of what we have built. And I think it, to me, then all of a sudden, those things look 
like it kind of cheapens sex, which it really does. It's not God's plan. And what we are working on developing in our marriage is so much better than than those things. And so I think we have to get to that mindset and realize. So if your wife and your husband's into that, I think it's okay to say you're not comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. I think you want to come back with something else like, I love you. I want to have sex with you. I want that to be an intimate part of our life. Uh, can we leave that out? Mm-hmm. And let's see what we can build without that. Right. You know, but guy, you know, porn is so accessible. I mean, I've had, had a kid who's 11 years old and he was supposed to be in Sunday school class and he would go in the bathroom and look at porn at church using the church's Wi-Fi. Parents had never had any idea what was going on there. So, I mean, you know, it's so accessible. And so I think we, you know, I think that's a talk that you have with both, both boys and girls as your kids. Mm-hmm. But I think a dad sharing those kind of things with his son is very, very important of why not to. And, and you know, you can say, Hopefully you're able to say, you know, your mom and I have worked, you know, at a certain age, you can tell them worked hard at having a great sexual relationship and looking as a gift from God. And when you put those things in there, that distorts that. And you keep those images in your mind and they're hard to get out. And so the more you don't, the better off you're going to be and your marriage is going to be and the happier your spouse is going to be when you get married someday. Hmm. Powerful. Dr. Kimberling, you wrote a book Seven Secrets. You've written a couple of books, but yeah. but one of them, Seven Secrets to an Awesome Marriage. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that book? Maybe give one of the secrets that you share, uh, and then we'll definitely point people to be able to to purchase that and read it as well. Yeah, that was a really fun book to write. And it kind of was came out like I think a lot of counselors that write out of counseling experience. But mm-hmm. the seven secret, I mean, the first secret is is stop the insanity because we have such a tendency to keep repeating the same things over and over and over. And, uh, and so it's like, okay, what, what is going on? That's just crazy in your life, in your marriage, what needs to change? What things are you bumping up against over and over to, to identify and stop that. And then the second is to start pursuing God together. Mm-hmm. Someone asked me one time, well, why don't you do God first? And I said, well, I can't take the principle from AA. You got to say you have a problem first. And so that's why I put stop first. And then once you have that problem and you've identified with it, they can ask God in the middle of it and do that. Um, And we talk about one of them is on communication. One is on uh, how to fight right, because we don't do well at that. Um, Developing your spiritual relationship together. Finances. There's there's each one is a different topic. And we try to come at it from a standpoint of very practical with some real life stories and people that have gotten themselves in messes and people have gotten Mm -hmm. themselves out of messes and what's worked and what doesn't work. And just trying to help people see overall, if you follow these seven secrets, you're setting yourself up for a really successful marriage because they're all based out of principles that we see in scripture anyway. And why wouldn't we go there? I mean, God's the author of marriage. We, you know, it's funny. I told somebody not too long ago, I said, you're trusting God with your salvation and your eternal life, and you won't trust him with his plan for marriage. I said, this picture doesn't make sense here. And that guy sat there a minute, he goes, huh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> I thought, yeah. Pretty I good mean, point. Ser- it's seriously, you know, give God's plan a chance. And I think when we do, and we get out from under all the things we're bombarded with in our culture and the media, we realize that God's plan really does work. It really yeah. does make a difference. How long have you and your wife, Nancy, mm-hmm. right? How long have y'all been married? 
been married 52 years. Amazing. Congratulations. Amazing. Yeah, we were 20. We got married and it's, you know, we met in college. Uh, she was a freshman. I was a soft uh, junior. And just, you know, I knew the first time we had a blind date and she was in the girls' uh, freshman dorm, which she, that's the way it was back then. And you had to go in and you had to ask the person at the desk to call up. You couldn't go upstairs. You couldn't go to the girls' rooms. And so when the elevator opens, this blonde walks out and I think, I'm looking around thinking, whose date is this? It couldn't be my date, but it was, you know? <laughs> and, you know, I just kind of thought, I don't know if I thought then this is who I want to marry, but it was like, I really, it was just something that God did. And he thought, this is who I think I want to be with. And then over the next two years of college dating, we both figured that out and then got married. What would you share with our listeners from your 52 years of marriage as your best advice, your best parting advice to leave them with? Be best friends. Mm. We became best friends in college. We It, it was kind of funny. At, at TCU, you had meal tickets. And so we would use Nancy and my meal tickets and eat lunches, and then we'd go out and eat dinner together. Not expensive, but we sat across the table from each other, eating, talking so many times, so many hours. We learned so much about each other. And so I think we became best friends. And when we had our really hard time in year six, uh, when Nancy was thinking about, does she want to stay in this marriage or not? Um, she decided the reason someone I was asking her about that in an interview that we did. And she never, I never said this before. And she, they said, why did you stay? And she goes, I really didn't want to lose my best friend. I think there's a constraint there of having your spouse as your best friend and all that encompasses. Because to me, that encompasses having fun together. Uh, talking on intimate levels together, uh, praying together, and doing the things that you would want to do with a best friend and then treating them like you would a best friend. Mm -hmm. I think that if you do that day after day, you're, you know, 50 years, you can have an awesome marriage. You'll have it before then, but you're still going to have it then. I love that. So powerful. Thank you, Dr. Kimberling. Can you let our listeners know where they can find out more about you, your sure. podcast, your Awesome Marriage podcast? Everything Awesome Marriage is on awesomemarriage.com. Uh, we have links to everything that we do, and there are one thing daily email that, keep, that helps couples do one thing each day for their marriage, our weekly uh, marriage challenge that helps. Well, everything we do is to help people be intentional about their marriage, and then we have a lot of new things to help people that are struggling in a certain area. So we've got some video courses and things like that. You can access everything for awesomemarriage.com. Mine is kimkimberling.com. Um, and you can access, uh, we do a leadership podcast that I do with another guy, Colby Taylor. You can access those things there. We're on all over social media. Yes, I'm on TikTok. And so uh, I love it. we try to be where people are. When yeah. we start out in marriage, we chose Facebook at a time when it was probably half a billion or yeah, half a billion people, maybe 500 million. And it was getting all this bad rap about people are hooking up with their boyfriends and girlfriends. Mm -hmm. And we decided that's where we want to be. We want to be yeah. right in the middle of the fight. And from then we've just begun to add things and try to be where people are and help them see that God's got a plan that's better than what they're pursuing. It's so good. It's so fun. good. Thank you, Dr. Kimberling. Loved having this conversation with you and hope to have you back in the future to talk about even more. We didn't even touch on parenting. That's, that could be a great topic. For Absolutely. Thank you so much. Love all you're doing. Love connecting with you. Here are my three key takeaways from today's episode. 
The first one is that story that Dr. Kimberling told of the woman who prayed for 40 years for her husband. That is so convicting for me because I think of how many times in my life I have prayed for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, but when movement doesn't happen, it's so much easier to forget to pray because it feels like it's not working. And this woman cared enough about her husband that she prayed for 40 years. And ultimately, it ended up in, in him loving Jesus and coming to Jesus. And there is, there is no sacrifice great enough that that is not worth every minute of it. Wow, how convicting. So my key takeaway there is to pray unceasingly. I believe there's a reason that the Bible says to pray without ceasing, to pray every moment that you can, to give everything to God, to come to Him, that the Spirit can connect to God in us. He can take our yearnings and turn them into a sweet aroma. It's important. Prayer is important. My word for this year has been prayer because I look back and think of how terrible I've been at praying. It's typically the last thing that I think to do. And this year, even as a, even as I've just focused on prioritizing prayer, I've begun to see not only a change in the world and the people around me, slowly but surely, and not maybe the change I wanted, but the change that God as a sovereign God is going to implement because he is over all things. But more importantly, I've begun to see a change in myself and realizing my rightful place at the feet of the throne of God. The second key takeaway that I have from today's episode is invite opportunities for your spouse or your significant other to engage with you in spiritual activities. And of course, in this episode specifically, those spiritual activities are surrounding the Christian faith. So reading the Bible, going to church together, getting involved in a small group, serving together. I loved that point. Find a way to get out and serve the people in your local community, whether that is mowing someone's lawn or taking dinner to a family who've just had a baby or going and serving at a homeless shelter or a food pantry, whatever it is, there are so many ways to serve and doing it together as a couple or as a family is a great way. But I also love what he said, especially for the women listening, that you shouldn't just wait for your spouse, for your husband, for your significant other to be that spiritual leader. You should still lead within your family spiritually. We all should. We all have a calling to do that. In Exodus and again, and I believe First Peter, we are called a royal priesthood, all of us, women and men. So we are called to do that. However, how can you invite the men in your life into it if they're not as comfortable in some of those more outward leadership positions as you are? Well, you can invite them to read some of the scripture to your kids or to pray. I often will ask my husband at night, will you pray for me? Will you pray for us? And just invite him into that. And it's it's amazing. You don't just have to necessarily wait. You don't want to push, but you don't necessarily just have to wait around. You can invite your spouse or significant other into those things with you. The third key takeaway is to remember to lean in and find common ground. Lean in, ask questions, be curious, especially when you disagree about things and find those ways that you can agree. 
The question is not, can we agree? The question is, how can we agree? It's there. Are you willing to do the hard work to find the areas you can agree and move forward in having the common ground and making a decision based on the compromise of both of you agreeing? I'd love to know your key takeaways. I always love hearing from you. Leave a podcast review, share this with a friend, find me on Instagram. Tell me what you took away from this podcast episode and what you want to hear more of. I'll see you next time on It Starts With Attraction. Attraction.